Okay, thank you for bearing with us, uh, your patience. I don't know what's going on with the internet, and uh, hopefully we'll stay connected, and if not, we'll record it and uh, and post it online. The Parsha Shir is generously sponsored by Becky and Avi Katz and family in memory of David Grossman. Le'ilu Nishmas David Ben-Menachem Manish. This morning's Shir is sponsored anonymously. Le'ilu Nishmas Esther Malka Basvi, dedicating commemoration of the 30th year outside of Calvin Raff, Kalman Ben-Meir HaKohen, by his daughter and son-in-law, Louis and Rabbi Richard Beeler. Thank you to uh, the Beelers. Thank you to all who sponsored uh, this morning. Also, this morning's shir is dedicated in loving memory of Esther Tilabas of Gavrila Pinchas, of course, Esti Maskowitz, Allah Shalom, whose uh, family remains very much on our minds and our hearts as they're in the midst of sitting Shiva for the tragic loss of their daughter. We read Parshas Mishpatim, page 416 in the Arts Girl Stone Chumash. Ve'ela ha Mishpatim, Asher Tasim Lifnehem. Parshas Mishpatim begins These are the laws that Moshe placed before the Jewish people. Spoken about this uh, many times in the past. The vav ve'ela. Is this working? Still not working. The vav ve'ela is uh, continuing, just like the original were given at Har Sinai. So to all the laws, all the details in Parshas Mishpatim were given at Har Sinai as well. Rashi says, "Asher tasim lifnehem." The laws of our parsha, the laws of the Torah, are described. Asher tasim lifnehem that are placed before you. Rashi says. Like a set table that's placed before a person ready to eat. And that's the origin of when Rav Yosef Karo named his wonderful set of svarim, when he named his famous books, the Code of Jewish Law, Shulchan Arach, it was based on this Rashi. These are the Mishpatim, these are the laws that are placed before the Jewish people. What really nourishes us, what really gives us life, is not the food that we eat, is not the physical or material things around us. What gives us eternal life, of course, is learning Torah, living Torah, is keeping halacha. The chidah in the Sefer Shema, Gedon Otzer Plos Torah points out that the chidah, the girl of Chaim Yosef David Azulai, in the Sefer Shem Gedolam, he writes, Davar Nifla, Madu Azacha, Beis Yosef, L'chaber, Schiburo, Shulchan Arach, Shumora, Aderach, L'chol, Beis Yisrael, B'chol, Kitzvei, Tevel. Why did Rav Yosef Karo, Yosef Karo, we've studied him in the people of the book, you could find it online, his life, his legacy, his influence, why did he merit what became the authoritative work of Jewish law, the Shulchan Arach? This is what the Chida writes, quote, Jewish people specifically at that time and in this place needed a code of Jewish law. Now is not the time to go all the way back. I think we've done it before. Or from the Gemara, which is Talmud Bavli, it's Mivobal, it's all mixed up, it's all disorganized terribly, and that's by design. Because really, our Torah is supposed to be a Torah Shabbat Peh, really, it's supposed to be orally transmitted one to the other. Ravina Ravashi, following the model of Review Danasi, showed tremendous courage in writing down something that was supposed to remain oral. Why'd they do it? Because it was getting distorted, it was being forgotten. However, by doing so, they violated the manner in which it was meant to be transmitted, specifically interpersonally. A person had to have a Rebbe. People had to gather to study as a community. It was meant to be able to foster and to cultivate and to support a notion of a community of learners and its transmission. So how do you preserve the notion of community and transmission in a Rebbe all while writing it down and recording it? Says Rav Hutner, that's why it's the Talmud Bavli. It's all mivobal, it's all mixed up can't make heads or tails. You can't find anything in it. It's not organized like an encyclopedia. It is intentionally and by design disorganized. So you still need a Rebbe. You still need to be in a Shir. You still need to be able to come together for its transmission one to the other. The back of the Gemara, the Rush, Rabbeinu Asher, was the first to write a commentary exclusively following Halacha. But he wrote it based on the organization of the Shas, of the Gemara. You still don't know where to look. If you're curious, what does the Rush say about Hilchas Nida? Do you know to look in Mesecha Shavuos? That's the majority of the Rosh's comment, because in Mesecha Shavuos, which is about vows and oaths, there's a passing section about the laws of family purity, Nida, and that's where the Rosh elaborates on the laws of Nida, but you wouldn't know it because it remains terribly disorganized. So the Rosh had a son, Rav Yaakov ben Usher, who comprised the tour. He said, let me organize it not according to the Siddharim, according to the Mesechtas of Shas, let me organize it thematically, as an encyclopedia, and he created four columns. The four columns are the Arba Turim, Orachayim, Choshen Mishpat, 
Yerodea, Evan, as there are four columns, four categories of Jewish law, he created columns. And then the Beis Yosef, Rabbi Yosef Kara says, your columns, they support my house. He wrote a commentary on the tour called the Beis Yosef in the 16th century, called the Beis Yosef. Then Rav Yosef came along, a later contemporary, and he said, your, your commentary is pretty good, but mine is better. So what did he name his commentary? The Bayez Chadash. There's a new house in town. It's a whole rabbinic trash talking going on over here. So there's the Beis Yosef, and then the Bach names his the Bayez Chadash. Then Rav Yosef Karo says, you know, Rav Yosef Karo said, where did the tour come to these conclusions? He went through the Gemaras, he organized it all into four columns, four categories of Jewish law. How did he arrive at these conclusions? So let me give you the background. The whole commentary of the Beis Yosef is the background, tracing from the Gemara all the way through. But the Beis Yosef found that people were not learning his Sefer as frequently as he wanted. So he summarized his Beis Yosef into a work that we learn more often. It's called the Shulchan Arach. He says, my base Yosef, my house of Yosef being held up by the four columns, the Arbaturim of Rav Yaakov ben Asher, the son of the Rush, who wrote a commentary on Halacha, it's being neglected. So let me summarize it into the Shulchan Arach. And when he writes the Shulchan Arach, what does he write? His wish is that people will learn it. How often? Yosef is a Shulchan Arach. He broke it into 30 parts. Jews would complete and review the entire Shulchan Arach every 30 days, every 30 days. And if you look in Shulchan Arach Hoshim Mishpat, Sovsim and Mem Gimel, you'll see it says there, Adkan Yom Chaf Aleph. What does it say until here? Day 21. No one understood that. That has nothing to do with the actual commentary that he's writing. So why was it inserting there until here, day 21? So the Sma writes there, it has nothing to do with the actual halach he's writing. So Sma says, you know why it says until your day 21? Because every Jew should be reviewing the entire Shulchan Arach every 30 days. Wow, mind-blowing, mind-boggling. It's an incredible, incredible commentary, the Shulchan Aruch, a summary of halacha, and it indeed becomes the code of Jewish law. And the Rav Yosef Kara gave us a great gift called the Shulchan Aruch. He gave us a set table, so you don't know about a law of muksa or a bracha to make on a banana, or what your lulav and esrog should look like when you choose it, or whether your sukkah qualifies as being kosher, or how to give a get, or more importantly, how to get married, how to do kiddushin, you don't know. Shulchan Aruch says here, I set the table for you. It's all here. The Ramah lives a little later than Shulchan Aruch, lives in Krakow. He says, Rav did a good job. He did a pretty good job in Tzfas, in the north of Israel. He visited Shul, his grave today. did a pretty good job. The problem is, it represents a Svartic custom. Here in Krakow, Poland, the Ramah says, or Moshe Isilis, we do things a little bit differently. So Rav Yosef set the table. What did the Ramah put on top of it? A mapa, a tablecloth. The commentary of the Ramah is called the Mapa. It's the tablecloth on Rav Yosef Karo's set table, which is in the house of the Beis Yosef, not as new as the house of the Bayez Chadash, that is on the columns of the tour of Rav Yaakov ben Asher. In all their names of their works, there's a little, a little, a little shtikl shtuch going on back and forth over here. But Kenesso from Tarbachachma, all to promote a sense of scholarship and Torah. Why am I sharing all this here? Because it's the opening Rashi. It's the opening Rashi, Eila Mishpatim. This is the opening Rashi, the law, the Torah, and Torah living, Torah law is given as a set table. Like a set table. So going back to the Chidah, Kodesh Baruch Paskin, God Almighty determined the Jewish people needed a set table, a set encyclopedia, organized. Chidah a tradition that in that generation, the Kabbalists in the north of Tzfat, there were three rabbis qualified to have authored what would become the authoritative work of Jewish law. They are Rabbi Yosef Titschik. Who is he? Rabbi Yosef Rabbi Shlomo Titschik, one of the Chachmei Sarad. He lived in Portugal, then Italy, then Salonika. He wrote several Svarim, Lechem, Starim, Poros Yosef. He was one. The second is the Beis Yosef. The third is the Mahari Ben Leiv. Mahari Ben Leiv is Rabbi Yosef Ben David Evan Leiv. 
He was born in Turkey, and then he moved to Salonika. All Sephardim. And v'iskimu min hashamayim v'tinasein dasei de'maran hakadosh beis Yosef mipnei. So the Yosef beis Yosef or Yosef Karo was the one who was determined why. What was special about? Him? Was he the smartest, most mystical, greatest Kabbalist, greatest character? Most taught, what was so special about him? Longish Mona Esrei? Shuckled the most. What was so special? Mibnei Anva Sunuso. Hayaseira. He was the most humble. He was the most humble. Because he was the most humble, that's why he became the conduit. He was the one responsible for organizing and transmitting. Kashanir Misvarav HaKedoshim. As you see from Misvarim, that is the tradition of the Chida, why Rav Yosef Karo merited. And in fact, that is a tradition that we have about all of Torah. Mishnah says in Pirkei Avos, we just read last week, and when again this week in Parashat Mishpatim, there's a sort of second version, a new version, updated version of Kabbalah Satorah. Mishnah in Pirkei Avos says, Moshe Kibbal Torah, Misinai, what should it say? Moshe Kibbal Torah, Bisinai. should say Moshe received the Torah where? Geographically, what were the coordinates? What did you put in ways when Jewish people were looking for where to show up for the receiving of the Torah? Bisinai, they put our Sinai. So why does it say Misinai, not Bisinai? What do we know about our Sinai? It was the lowest of all the mountains. It wasn't special, didn't have magnificent flora and fauna, didn't have magnificent landscape. It was humble and modest and simple, and that's why Hashem chose it. The commentaries on Pirkei Avos say, Moshe Kibal Torah, not Bisinai. Where he got it, it's unimportant. How do we know it's unimportant? We don't even know where it is. We don't gather, we don't go there. There's no Pesach program there. There's no Sukkot program there. There's no summer program there. There's no summer camp there. Now someone's going to try to find it. They just realized. <laughs> I want a commission if you figure this out. But Harsinai doesn't play that role. Nobody's going to Harsinai. Moshe Kibel Torah, not Bisinai. Moshe Kibel Torah, Misinai. He received the Torah. What Torah did he receive? He received the Torah of how to receive the Torah. And what's the Torah of how to receive the Torah? You have to be a vessel, a humble, modest, simple vessel. Because the prerequisite to receiving the Torah is not superimposing or projecting onto the Torah your thoughts, your honor, your glory, your view of the world. It's to become a blank slate, to be willing to receive the Torah, have the Torah engraved on our hearts, not to engrave our Torah, not to engrave our predisposed notions onto the Torah itself. And Megid Yosef, Rav Yosef Suratskin says the following. So these are the first laws given after Har Sinai. Most seminal vote invent in all of human history, the giving of the Torah at Har Sinai. Jewish people are high. Picture your greatest ni'ilah with your greatest kumzitz, with your greatest simcha, with your greatest shir you ever heard, with the greatest muslishmuz you ever heard. Combine it all one, and it's nothing compared to Har Sinai. Revelation? Shem spoke to us directly. Revelation? People were on a high. It's incredible. And what are the very first laws God gives afterwards? While I have your attention, I'd like to give you my Torah. While you're on this incredible spiritual high, while you're singing and dancing, and you feel connected to each other and to me, I want to give you the first set of laws. And what are they? Hadvarim Tamuam, what says Rabbi Yosef Saratskin. They're a nation that are still feeling the impact of 210 years of slavery. We are 75 years after the Holocaust, and at the end of the tukufa of the merit of having Holocaust survivors, and we still feel its impact. Still feel it. Second generation, third generation, it's still leaving its impact, its impression on the even the neurobiology of those who descend from those who survived, who are impacted, on our behavior, on our conduct. There were uh, Rabbi Yehuda, who used to live here as a daughter, who studied, who studied actually chemistry and studied the brains of second generation to see how it, was, how it was impacted growing up in the home of those who survived the worst atrocity in all of human history. So this slave nation, just because Hashem took them out, 10 plagues, splitting of a sea, stood at Har Sinai, they weren't done. They're still recovering. They're still coming out. They were taken out of Egypt. Egypt is still being taken out of them. They're still bruised and battered. They still have scabs and wounds. They're still limping and suffering. 
So what's the first law Hashem gives after our Sinai? How does Parshat Mishpatim begin? When you go buy a slave, six years they work for the seventh year, they go free. If they say, I want to stay, you pierce the ear on the door. We all know the laws, Eved Ivri, Eved Kenani, the different laws that govern slavery, servitude. One does Rabbi Yosef Saratskin really? Just come off this high, it's incredible. Neila comes, it's this amazing Fabreng and this Oneg singing and spiritually connected in his this and that. And the first laws you give are the laws of slavery to a slave nation still bruised and battered, physically, emotionally, psychologically. Achein ma'omku divrei Torah, says Rav Saratskin, how deep, how profound Hashem's understanding of the human psyche. You know why these are the first laws? Ask anyone who works in the field of abuse and trauma, and you will find how many people who are abusers were themselves the victims of abuse. How many people who pay forward abuse and harshness and all kinds of traumatic behaviors themselves were victims, but they don't know. That's all they know. Of course, not intentionally. Of course, not with malice. Of course, not trying to cause the next person the pain they themselves endured. But somehow in the human psyche, what we experience, what we are victims of, often we then become the perpetrator. Even though one would think it should be the opposite, if you suffered, if you were a victim of something, you'd be incredibly sensitive, extraordinarily vigilant and careful not to pay it forward. You'd think that's the way it would go. If we were raised in cruelty and harshness, if we were raised with abuse, it's very hard to climb out from underneath that shadow, that cloud, to know another type of behavior, to not be caught in what becomes a vicious cycle. Says the Megid Yosef, why is this the very first law? Seems anticlimactic, inappropriate. We'd never guess it. We would never have chosen it. First law, because the first thing Hashem says is, break the cycle. Don't pay it forward. You don't like the way that you were parented. You don't like the way you were treated. You don't like who your teacher behaved. You don't like who your boss was. Don't pay it forward. Break the cycle. The first law, Kisikna Evid Ivri. Let me tell you, there's one comfortable pillow, your Evid gets it, not you. That's halach of an Evid Ivri. There's one bed, you're sleeping on the couch, your Evid gets it, not you. Because this is not a chance for you to pay it forward, this is an invitation to break the cycle. Someone recently was sharing, showing off to me. When they were a kid, and they grew up with absolutely nothing, and they made it, and they broke through. When they were a kid, they worked for a certain business, and uh, they weren't treated so wonderfully. And when they finally broke through, they bought the business, and now they're the boss of the same people that were their boss, and they're letting him have it. I, I, I wasn't impressed. If the punchline was, I bought the business, now I'm their boss, and I'm showing them how a boss should behave. I'm showing them, modeling for them what it should be like. I would have said, unbelievable. Come sit next to me during the Pashish year. Unbelievable. It's the human psyche. I'm not even blaming this person. It's the human psyche so much so, says the Megid Yosef, that's why the parsha begins with the law of Ebed Ivri. Don't pay it forward. Don't pay it forward. Don't behave that way again. Why the ear? We've studied this in the past. I'll just leave you with some questions so you listen to the past or you come up on your own. But when do you pierce the ear? If the slave says, I want to say. Why do you pierce the ear? Cheskuni has an amazing comment. This we never studied before. The Otsar says, says, you know why you pierce the ear? Where do you pierce the ear? On the doorpost. And you pierce all the way through the ear, it leaves a mark on the doorpost. You know some people on their doorpost, they have the different heights of their kids at different ages, different stages, right? You see how tall they are, when, compare. So the Chizkuni says, if a slave ran away, you took him back, how did anyone know it was your slave? 
you take them up against the doorpost and you'd see how tall were they and does it match up the hole in their ear with where the indent in your doorpost was. That's why you pierce the ear against the doorpost. He says it was purely functional, pragmatic. It was a way of tracking. They didn't have Apple tracking devices then. How did you know it was your slave? When you got him back, put him up against the doorpost to check if it matched up. Otsar Plaza Torah digs up stuff nobody ever saw, heard, knew. Unbelievable. The classic reason given by Chazal, the same ear that heard her heard at Arsini, don't steal, he stole. Because the evidence is the person who stole and doesn't have the funds to compensate and make the victim whole, so he goes to work for him. So the same ear that heard don't steal and stole, now has the ear pierced. Same ear that heard avadayim v'la'avadim la'avadim, we're slaves only to Hashem and not slaves to other slaves of Hashem. Now, gets to your peers. So famously, famously the question is asked, so when should the ear get pierced? Right away. What are you waiting for the sixth year? Why do you wait till the slave says, I want to stay? That's not when he stole. That's not when he neglected what he heard at Harsinai. So why don't we pierce the ear right away so that he walks around during that term of slavery, how long he has to work in order to earn to pay back. Why don't we do it right away? So we've discussed that in the past. I'll let you look it up and figure it out. Then we move on to a litany of laws, civil law, tort law, to personal laws, damages, loans. Parshim Spratim seems like a random collection, compilation of laws. There's nothing random about it. You have to work on, we're not going to now. What are the themes and what is the order and what is the sequence? And what is the messaging that comes out? But here the Torah tells us, Tension, conflict, fights between people, unfortunately, is nothing new. When a person strikes another with a stone or a fist. He doesn't dive enough for Lamishkov, he's injured. I have to tell you, you know, we're living, it's mind-boggling. I just heard Rav Asher Weiss just said yesterday. He said, it's hard to believe that right now, the most unsafe place for a Jew in the world is Yerushalayim Yerakodesh. How could it be? This wave of terror, this wave of terror, Nebuch, six-year-old, eight-year-old boy, father still desperately needs our tefillos, fighting for his life. Yesterday, a soldier. Every day, you turn on the news in Israel. How could it be, Yerushalayim? How could it be? And there's so many questions, but one question I have, and maybe we're not entitled to ask from this side of the ocean, we all should be, not if, but when we will be there. But we're watching this wave of terror, people killing Jews, and we're watching Jews, metaphorically, and please God, never literally killing Jews in Israel, the fights over the judicial reform and other things. That's not to say these aren't important conversations, important matters, important debates. There, here, every Jewish community, people are arguing, shouldn't it be a little bit of a wake-up call? Dafka, while we're being targeted, Dafka, while there are funerals, Dafka, while there's a wave of terror, Historically, while they've tried to kill us, we don't kill each other. When they're not killing us, we go back to killing each other. But it's an all-new low to be killing each other while they're killing us. It's a wake-up. Something's got to change. Something's got to be different. Something's got to be different. It's a wake-up. A wake-up. This is not talking about non-Jews. Jews. Jews are fighting. Jews break into fisticuffs. They break into violence. If I see one more headline about this... In Israel, the challenges around these reforms, what they could lead to. Again, they're very provocative headlines, hopefully not true. God forbid, to civil war, to violence, reminiscent of the rabbin era, what it could be. We have to wake up. Something's got to change. Something's got to be different. And we're not talking about others. It begins with ourselves, who we are, how we behave, how we conduct ourselves, how we talk to one another, how we treat one another, how we resolve and communicate when we disagree and when we differ. Khalila can never lead to the chirivun anashim can never, ever, ever descend to a point. Something's got to change. We've got to wake up. we got to wake up. It's a message. So many messages. We don't need the messages. Let's wake up. So we don't need these messages. The person gets up and goes outside his own power. Lost time. You have to pay him for lost time, lost wages. And you have to compensate, provide for healing. You have to compensate for lost wages and for healing. And here we have the Torah source for Jews becoming doctors.
This is the total source for the Jewish focus on medicine, which is not a coincidence. Why do Jews become doctors? Why do we care about science? Based on this Pasuk, Gemara Baba Kama says, This is the license, not the medical license, the Torah license for a doctor to practice. Now, Rashi, why does a doctor need a Torah license? Do I need a Torah license to breathe? Do I need a Torah license to be a lawyer? Do you need a Torah license to be an accountant? A Torah license to be a business person? Torah license to be a chef or any other profession? Why do you need Torah permission and Torah license in order to practice medicine? So Rashi says there in the Gemara Babakama Kama Because you might say, Doctor, how dare you? If the Rebona Shalom's will this person be sick, we don't understand it, we can't make sense of it, but this is what's meant to be. How dare you try to override? How dare you interfere? How dare you heal and resolve what Hashem has determined is right for that person? Now that sounds absurd, but to a degree it makes a lot of sense. If you're a person that lives with Muna and Muna and Bitachon, if we're a person who people who regularly say, that everything Hashem does is for our best, then why interfere with what Hashem has determined to be the best? So Hashem says, I want you to interfere. I want you to make things better. I want you to take initiative. I want you to do everything you can do. Tosos gives a different answer. Same as Rashi, but the Ramban gives a different. Tour quotes the Ramban, who says, you know, sometimes in order to heal, what do you have to do? You have to do surgery. A surgeon takes a knife, cuts a person open. Let's say the incision was a millimeter bigger than it needed to be. They caused pain that was unnecessary, a longer healing time. There are unintended, sometimes, there are things that go wrong in medicine. Not intentionally. That's what the lawyer, not what the lawyers say, but not intentionally. So you could be nimtzeis horig nefashos b'shogig. So maybe you'll say, why take the risk? Let someone else take that risk. I don't want to do it. How could I do that? What if, God forbid, the person suffers because of me? So Ramban says, take the risk. Hashem absolves you. Not negligence. Negligence is on you. But if you do your best, then Hashem says the rest is on me. Based on the Rambam, there's another explanation. And that is also, you're not allowed to do chavala. You can't hurt or injure a party. You can't cause a black and blue mark or cause someone to bleed. It's a prohibition of chavala. We once gave a whole shir because the Rambam doesn't talk only about chovel as acher. Not only are you not allowed to punch someone else, again our parasha, but chovel as atzmo. You're not allowed to injure yourself. You can't cause bleeding unnecessarily, bruising unnecessarily. We're, it's not our body. We're stewards over these bodies. They're not ours. We're just watching over them. They're not ours. They're on loan to us. They will be returned. And we're simply in charge while we have them. And because they're not ours, we're not allowed to be chovel. So cosmetic surgery. I understand. I'm asking in Boca Raton, Florida. <laughs> cosmetic surgery you know in Boca Raton Florida they say natural childbirth in Boca is to give birth without any makeup on <laughs> it's natural childbirth in Boca Raton so is cosmetic surgery allowed we give a whole on it. it's a big discussion it depends if it's pure vanity or is it psychologically person feels they need to Reb Moshe has a tshuva so a young woman who felt she was struggling in shiduchim she had a facial feature. She wanted to repair, improve. That's Choval Atzmo. We gave a second shear, a different shear another time. Can Jews become boxers? Are you allowed to punch out the other person? Are you allowed to allow them to punch you? Can a Jew become a boxer? There's a long history of Jews in boxing. Jews in boxing. There's a long, even somewhat illustrious history of Jews and, and of boxing. All based on this Rambam. So maybe the doctor says, Choval is Asr. I can't treat patients. Someone else should do it. I can't be chovel. Comes along the Torah and says, Virapo Mikan shenitin larapos. Hashem says, here's the knife. Hashem says, scrub in. Hashem says, take the risk, take the initiative. Interfere with me. Now go and practice. Go and practice medicine. Another hesitation someone has. I don't want to be Mechal Shabbos. I don't want to 
There are those, not many, who successfully became doctors by having Shomer Shabbos residency and Shomer Shabbos practice. And there are those who are able to be doctors and Shabbos never comes into play. Never comes into play. But many, most can't. So maybe someone will say, I'm not going to be a doctor. Let others become. Hashem says, don't worry about my Shabbos. Worry about my Shabbos. And there are laws you have to learn to navigate. But don't hesitate or be reluctant. Don't not save lives because you're worried about your Shabbos and my Shabbos. Go and go and be go and be a doctor. But here in the Otsar, Plosa Torah, he says, we have evidence. How far does it go back that Jews specialize in medicine, become doctors? Mishnah. The Mishnah in Shkolem, which is describing the practices in the Beis Hamikdash, this week is Parsha Shkolem, of collecting the Shekel and what it was designated for and what it underwrote or sponsored or paid for. So Perakei Mishnah Aleph says one of the designated people in charge of the Beis Hamikdash was Ben Achia, who was in charge of, this is evidence that Jews were in medicine and evidence that Jews have irritable bowel. Because what was his job? What did he specialize in? Not skin care, not the heart. The first gastroenterologist, Ben Achia. Yerushalmi says, We're not allowed to wear shoes in the Beis HaMikdash. Holy places like Moshe at the Sneh and one who goes on Harabayas is not allowed to wear shoes. What was the floor of the Beis HaMikdash made out of? Stone. The winter in Yerushalayim, stone floor gets very cold. What did the Kohanim eat? What was their diet made up of a lot of? Meat. They weren't allowed to drink wine in the Azara. They ate a lot of meat. I'm surprised they didn't all have gout. They couldn't have wine. So they ate a lot of meat, red meat, water, barefoot. And apparently, eating a lot of meat and washing it down with water while being barefoot on a cold stone apparently is bad for digestion. Some stuff for constipation, others from diarrhea. This is not why you came to the parshish here today. <laughs> but it is a typical Jewish gathering and conversation. Ben Achia, Baki Birafua, and Ben Achia was a GI, he was a gastroenterologist, thank you. When they got out of the base on Mikdash and they ate all that meat and drank all that wine and walked around barefoot and they were suffering. He treated them. It's a mission in Shkolem, Jews and medicine. Shmua, Masechus Bab Metzia, page Kofir Gimel. Shmua, hey, the Atzma, Shiyodea, Rafu, Lechol, Cholishim, Olam, Chutz, Mishlosha, Cholayim. Shmua says, I know how to heal every illness in the world, with the exception of three. Shmua says, like Rabbeinu HaKadosh, the Gemara Bab Metzia, Peyei, that Rabbeinu HaKadosh also knew medicine. Rabbi Chanina was a rofe. Gemara Nyuma, Abba, Umna, Masechus Tainus, of Echol, Tama, Bavli. We have countless Tanaim and Amorayim who were doctors who understood science and medicine. We also find it among the Rishonim. I don't want to take all of our time now. The Rambam, we know the Rambam was a genius, was great. The Rambam in one of his letters even outlines his schedule, his daily schedule. He was a doctor of the Sultan, which is maybe the reason he didn't leave Egypt. We talked about last week or two weeks ago, the prohibition to live in Egypt. Maybe his dispensation was, he was the doctor of the Sultan. He wasn't exactly allowed to leave. But the Rambam, it makes it all the more mind-boggling. The Rambam didn't have a keyboard, an internet connection, and a word processor. He didn't have Otsar HaChachma. The Rambam produced his Mishnah Torah, his Mor Nevuchim, his Perish Mishnayis, and 17 books on Chachma Sarafua, 17 medical textbooks. All while serving all day for the Sultan, and then ultimately having to flee for his life and being on the run. Because of that, we only have one of his medical textbooks. It's called Pirkei Moshe, the chapters, the books of Moshe. We have a medical textbook of the Rambam. 16 were lost. Baruch Hashem, we have his Mar Nebuchim, Perish Mishnayis, and his Mishnah Torah. The Rambam was unbelievable. Torah and Mada, medicine, science, that combination. For the Rambam, it didn't hold them back. And the Rambam's Mishnah Torah has learned every yeshiva on the planet. The Rambam, the Rambam was a great mystic, but he also was a physician, was a doctor, was a philosopher. The Chubas of the, of the Rajba, the Rambam, he writes that the Rambam was a doctor. The Svarno, Abir Harofim. This foreigner was a great, a great doctor. 
the Shilte Giborim, Rabbeinu Ephraim, was a physician, a doctor. And the list goes on and on of the incredible, illustrious, prominent history of Jews, going all the way back to Tanoim and Amoraim, Rishonim and Acharonim, who it was not a contradiction to be both a scholar of Torah and a doctor. Now the Gemara does make a comment, the Gemara Kedushin, about doctors, now that we talked about how wonderful, how amazing, how great, and how uh, prominent they are. And he says, the Gemara Kedushin, Daf Pei says, Tov Sheberofim Legehenim. Best of doctors, go to, as my kids would say, H-E double hockey sticks. Gehenim. Vadavar Pele Verachak Lalas Aladas. Shachachme Yisrael Anam. The Ramam, the Ramban, the Svarno, Rabbeinu Hakadosh, Rabbi Nasi Shmuel, the the doctor, the first GI, they're all going to Gehenim. What does that mean? And doesn't the parsha our parsha say Verapo Yerape? We were given license to heal. We're supposed to go heal. So here he quotes Lotzaplos Hatorah. He quotes from his father, Margila Bapume de Avi Mori. He quotes from his father, a great teaching of Rav Meir Parmishlan, a great Rebbe. Why is the Gemara making this comment? Because the doctor needs to know who's the real healer. Who is the real healer? The doctor is just a messenger. The doctor is just a shliach. The doctor is just the agent. The doctor is not actually doing the healing. But too many doctors, surgeons in particular, this is not me, the surgeons I know and learn with, are humble and modest and wonderful, but it's notorious in the industry that doctors are arrogant and surgeons are the most arrogant because when you save lives, the person was about to die and you gave them life. What could inflate an ego more than the whole family, everybody, you're amazing, you saved a life, what can we do? We can never repay you, we love you. With your hands, with your mind, you saved a life, saved a life. So a doctor who thinks it goes to their head, they think they're the one who's healing. Their brilliance, their knowledge, their practice, their acumen, their skill, they're the ones who are diagnosing and treating and they're doing surgery. So they don't concentrate on the bracha of Rifa'inu. Why? Because who needs God? They're the doctor. They only have how many brachos? What's the gematria of Tov? 9, 6, and 2? 17. So, they don't have Shemona Esri brachos. They're missing a bracha. So because they don't concentrate Rifa'enu, because they think they're in charge, so Tov, Shebarofim. If a Rofe thinks Tov, Tov, Shebarofim, the Gehenim. Tov, Shebarofim, I know Osa Rofe, Sheish, Lorak, Tov, brachos, Hu, Yorish, Gehenim. The one who doesn't need, you know, unimpressed by this gematria, this insight of Mayor Pramishlan. But Mirzov is snuck in the back row. He likes it. It's got a gematria. It's got a Mayor Pramishlan. Tov Shabarofim Leganim. Many other interpretations of what it means, Tov Shabarofim Leganim. Not for now. All of them revolve around that notion that a doctor needs to never get confused. Who's the real healer? He's just a messenger, just an agent. He's not really at all. He's not really the one who is in charge. Okay, moving right along. Oh, oh. Moving from Tov Shebarofim and Refuah as healing in the history of doctors. So Rav Avram Shor Shlita, he quotes a different tradition. Rak Shivto, pretend it's Friday right now because this is great for turn Friday into Erev Shabbos. Rak Shivto Yitain, Virapo Yirapay. You know, all a Jew needs to be healed. Shabbos. Rak shivto yitain. Give a Jew a Shabbos. Virapo yirape. The Tefer Shlema. Radamsk. Hanira Lorames Godo Milos Yama Shabbos Kodash Asherut Sinur Kolashpos Vatovas Akulim Begufa Venefesh. Shabbos is the great healer. Shabbos is the ultimate pharmacy. Shabbos is the greatest therapy. Shabbos is the Tsinur. It's the pipeline through which every treatment flows. So Shabbos, in the seventh you go free, going back to the beginning of the parasha, come Shabbos, a Jew tastes Olam Haba, 
a Jew finds what they need. And that's Rak Shivto Yitain. Kasher Yispala Love Yama Shabbos, Azra Po All a Jew needs is the Holy Shabbos. All a Jew needs is Shabbos. And if Shor writes, Ulai Yesh Laosif, Lashon Rak, Afilim Rak Shivto Yitain, Afilim Kolashavo in Lozman Lamotora Karoi, Velasos Amuta Love Bishar and Yanush Labodis Hashem Karoi, Avlim Rak Shivto Yitain. Even rak shivto yitain. All week long, you didn't dive in the way you could have done. You didn't learn the way you could have learned. You didn't spend that time with the family the way you should have spent time with the family. Rak shivto yitain. Rak Shabbos yitain. If all we have is Shabbos, at least Shabbos double down. Shabbos focus, concentrate. Shabbos disconnect from the to do and the tasks and everything around us and be connected to what needs to happen. Then, then. Rapo Yirape, and his incredible healing power, powers on a Jew. And that's what we say in Kolom HaKadosh. Isha Machaneu, Isha Diglo. Everyone has to observe Shabbos according to their level. That's how Rav Avishor sees. Rak Shivto Yitain, Rapo Yirape. Perachav Beis Pasachav. Skip a lot. Bodily harm, death by an animal. Dalad Nizikin. Perachav base, self-defense, payment for theft, the laws of the four shomrim. Page 430. Zoveach lelohim, person who brings offerings to other gods. Don't taunt or oppress a stranger, a convert, because we were strangers in the land of, of Egypt. We were strangers in the land of Egypt. Let's applause the Torah again. Rabbeinu Bachai, quotes Rabbeinu Bachai here on this Pasuk. Quote, In fact, the most often repeated mitzvah in the whole Torah is how we treat the convert, the stranger. To be sensitive and mindful and careful, to not remind them where they came from, their beginnings. He feels like an outsider. He feels alone and singled out. He feels like he doesn't belong. And therefore, we have to be careful. Because we knew what that was like. We've lived that way throughout our history. We understand what it means to be immigrants and refugees, what it means to be outsiders and strangers. It's not a political comment. It's a Jewish comment. All of us should know what that means. How that impacts policy is a different question. But our humanity should impact. And the love and sensitivity we show, says the Rabbeinu Bechaya. Liban Ezra, ki ger yezarecha, tam ger kamo gargir shani nechros menasif. V'yesh chasre lev shazeh tam rochuk b'neim. V'elem yodim tam kol osu tzirosu azikiru ha-emes. We have to be careful, we have to be strict, we have to understand. Perech of Beis, Pasuk Havalaf. This is one of the scariest pasuk in the entire Torah. Next pasuk: Kol al manavi asom lo anun. A widow and an orphan do not abuse, do not aggravate, do not aggrieve. But incredibly sensitive, caring, loving, supportive of a widow and of an orphan. Why? Because imanesa neoso. If in fact you are harsh, you're cruel, you're insensitive to them. Kim Hashem says, if they call out to me, they cry out to me. You cause them pain and they turn to me. So I want you to know, I'm going to hear. And you know what's going to happen when I hear? When I turn an ear and I listen to them? I'm going to kill you. And then your wife will know what it's like to be a widow. And your children will be orphans. It's the scariest pasuk, I think, more than the Torah and the whole Torah. Hashem says, he doesn't hold back at all. This is like the most gentle, sweet parent. But if someone messes with their child, you'll see that parent become an entirely different person. Hashem is kind and loving, compassionate. But he says, you mess with my widow, my, my orphans. I'm coming after you and your spouse and children will know what it's like to be widow and orphan. Unbelievably powerful. The imagery is horrific. Kol Amana Amana means widow. The Ksav Kabbalah of Yaakov Mecklenburg says Almana doesn't just mean widow, it means Al Mana. What's a Mana? You go to 
You go to a pizza store in Israel, you want to order a piece of pizza, what do you ask for? A mana, mana, mana means a portion, a piece. It means a portion. Almana is almana, missing a portion. It's missing a portion. So it doesn't just mean the widow. It means a family who's missing a portion. We know now in our own community, horrifically, what that means. When Shiva's over, you can't forget. In Israel, how many families have sat Shiva over these last weeks and months? Terror events and other tragedies. You know, it's tragic and articles and moaning and crying and the turnout, and the support. But they are forever almana. They are forever missing a portion. And we, the Torah is telling us, have to be exceedingly careful and sensitive and smart what we talk about and how we talk and how we behave and what we complain about and cry about as we go forward. When we think about the people around us who are almana, lavdafka, a widow, but almana means missing a portion. What do we complain about if we're married and there's someone single desperately wants to be married? What do we complain about children if there's someone there who's desperate to have children? What do we complain if someone who's lost a child and so on and so forth, almana? But why the double language? Why the double language? Why the double language? So again, we turn to Rav Shor. This is from two years ago. Tavshim Ke'alaf. And here Rav Shor from two years ago says, why the double language? Just have to find where he says it. Oh. It says Rav Shor, Rav Am Shor, the following. Sorry. The Ramban from Adai Kefaloshan, the Ramban himself was bothered by this question. Why the double language? So the Sar Shalom of Bells, great Bells of Rebbe, the Rebbe Akadosh, Sar Shalom of Bells, Pirish, Apima Shamr Chazal, Kal Adam Sheesh, Lo Sar Malach Melamala, Mashamitzar, Lo Adam Gamosa Malach Yesh, Lo Sar Mizeh. Each human being has their corresponding angel above. There's who we are down here below. And correspondingly, there's someone up above. And when a person hurts or pains or injures or harms someone down below, you've also injured or harmed the corresponding angel up above. And that says the Sashalom of Bells is why the double language in the Pasuk. Nechazah tell us even when the gates are closed, the gates of prayer, of cries, of this widow and orphan, they get through those gates and God hears them. Be very, very careful. Very, very careful. But then he offers another explanation. And he says the following. He says, why specifically the widow and orphan does Hashem have their back? And will he mete out punishment and revenge? And he says the following. He says, you know, if someone is married, if they're insulted or hurt or injured, they had a bad day at work, you know what they do? They go home and they tell their spouse. They lie in bed, pillow talk, they tell their spouse. They sit over dinner on the couch, a glass of wine, and they confide and they're consoled and they get strength by telling their spouse. A orphan, a child rather, who has living healthy parents, had a rough day at school, they were bullied. They didn't do well on the test. They didn't get into the school, the yeshiva, the seminary they applied to. The shidduchim are not going the way they want. Who do they talk to? Parents. They confide, they're consoled, and they draw strength. But this Amman and this Yasam... Nebuch, this widow, Nebuch, these orphans, they're missing a portion, they're missing a person, they're missing a subject, they're missing someone they can talk to, confide in, draw strength from. So therefore, you're, you're injuring, you're hurting them doubly. Not only did you hurt them by what you said or did, but you also hurt them that they have no one to unburden or to share that pain with. So they absorb a double blow of the injury. And that's why Hashem will double the revenge He takes against you. Unbelievable Pasuk. Unbelievable Pasuk. The double portion, the double injury, the double pain. Ravari Levin, the Tzadik Yishalayim gives the same vort. Ravav Meshuri gives the same vort. Why the double language? Because they're missing that person, so therefore you've doubly hurt them because they can't share the burden of their pain. Since you doubly hurt them, Hashem will doubly hurt such a person and their children and spouses will know what that's like. Chalila v'chas. Perchav Gimel Pasuk Zayim. Next parak, page 434. Don't pervert judgment. 
stay far away. Midvar Sheker Tirchak, Venaki Vitzadik Altarog, Tiloatzik Rasha. Midvar Sheker Tirchak. It's a very funny formulation. Midvar Sheker Tirchak. Torah, obligation, responsibility. Torah's focus on honesty. On honesty. But it's not formulated the way other. Lo signa of lo sirtzach. What should it say? Lo. Thank you, Shvigar. Lo sashaker. It should say, lo sashaker. Don't lie. Just like it says, don't murder. Don't steal. Don't lie. It doesn't say, from murder, stay far away. From, from, uh, from murder, stay far away. From stealing, stay far away. That's more yeshivish way of saying it, but it doesn't say that. A signal. Someone was trying to tell me, I was talking to someone recently about the difference between like real yeshivish and sort of yeshivish and not yeshivish. So he told me he was in yeshiva in, in, in Lakewood. In the they were serving grilled cheese sandwiches. And a guy online in front of him who grew up in America said, the cheese with the bread, you have more of? I said, that's yeshivish. That's yeshivish. The cheese with the bread, you have more? That's, that's yeshivish. So it doesn't say murder, you stay away from. It should say Why Midvar Sheker Tirchak? So this is what Rav Yosef Saratskin is Megid Yosef. He says, Kishimi When his mother was at the end of her life, and they made a uh, a Shabbos meal around her bed. So this question, this is what they were talking about. At the meal they made for around her bed at the end of her life. Why does it say Midvar Shaker Tirchak? Not Losa Shaker. So he said, he, Yosef Saratskin, Shemishain Meshaker Adain Lo Amar Sa'emes. Davka Idea Chakam and Ashaker Agila Emes. Mishain Meshaker, if you haven't lied, you haven't told the truth. But Davka Idea Chaka, by staying far away from Shaker, you come to the truth. Yeah, it's not enough to not lie to arrive at truth. You have to be far away from lies to get to truth. Nizbek biimi shiishlomar biyesa tokef, and then his mother. It was her bed they were surrounding. Shiishtorch lesrachim min hashaker kedei lahakir bo. Hakurva vanegios metashdushim es hametzius at shasheker niru lo keemes vaemes niru lo kesheker. It's a beautiful insight of his mother, the end of her life, with the Shabbos meal being arranged around her bed. She gave this pshat when the question was asked. Quotes his mother that she said. You don't know what's truth or lie if you're too close to it. Midvar sheker tirchak. You have to step back. You have to step away. You have to have a third party. You have to seek advice from others. You have to have some distance. Sometimes it's a big decision to make, and you don't know what's right. You don't know what's moral. You don't know what's ethical. You don't know what's correct. You don't know what you're supposed to do. And sometimes you're way too close to the situation. You're too zoomed in. You're too all-consumed. And you have negios. You have biases that you don't even know you have. So midvar sheker tirchak. If you want to avoid sheker tirchak, step away, step back, look from a distance, seek advice, ask a third party. Midvar sheker. If you want to avoid sheker, then tirchak. You've got to be willing to. You've got to be willing to step away. Okay. Then he gives another pshat, but let's keep going. A couple more. Perach of Dalad Gimel. Now we get to the. Harsinai again. Second half of Parshish Mishpatim is we're back at Harsinai again. In fact, Mishpatim used to be divided into two Parshios. Otsar Palas HaTorah quotes us. It was read on two separate Shabbases. It wasn't all one Parsha. And you can see that when you read it. It's really two separate Parshios that are combined into one. To Moshe Hashem says, Go up, you are on Adav and Avio, the 70 elders, and bow down from a distance. When Yigash Moshe Levado Hashem, Moshe arrives alone, but they stayed away. They didn't go up with him. Moshe came and he told them all the laws. And the people responded, All the things that you said that Hashem said, we will. We will do. Stay with me. This is worth ending with. We will do. All the things that you said, we will We will do. So, Sefer Hasidim, Simon Reish Lamed Gimel, wrote to Davar Nifla. He says, quote, 
We know that all the Jewish people, we are guarantors one for the other. Arev means a guarantor. Arev also means kikolech arev. Arev means sweet. We're supposed to sweeten one another. Go back to what I said before. That's what Rabbi uh, Yitzchak, other great tzaddikim, they teach, they explain that pasuk shirashirim. Kikolech arev umarech naveh. Ko Yisrael arev doesn't just mean we're guarantors. I sign on your loan. I have your back. You know, I could sign on your loan. I never met you. I could sign on your loan. I don't even know you. We have someone in common who asked me for a favor. Sign on the loan. I signed as a guarantor. We have nothing to do with each other. But that's not what Arev means. That's not what Ko Yisrael Arev Mizebezeh means. Sadikim say Ko Yisrael Arev Mizebezeh means Ki Kolech Arev. Arev means sweet. Ko Yisrael Arev Mizebezeh. Jews are meant to sweeten one another's life. Let me carry that for you. Let me bear your burden. Let me visit you. Let me make sure you don't feel lonely. Let me disagree with you, but do it agreeably and give you a hug at the end. This is, this is the Torah was given. This is the, pre- the prerequisite to receiving Torah. We know from last week's Parsha. Pasuk says, The motto of the Bokraton Synagogue, Eight Minyanim, can honor all of our differences, but we have to be together. We have to be united. And as I said, historically, when enemies attacked us, that's what united us. We needed that to unite us. Now it seems it's not working. And that's why we're in grave danger. Something's got to change. Our learning Torah, our living Torah, our practicing Torah, but our practicing what is the prerequisite to Torah, which is achtas, which is unity. And that's this Pasuk, says the Sefer Hasidim. Torah. 600,000 men over the age of 22 to 3 million people stood at the base of that mountain. And for the first time in the history of any Jewish vote, they said all in favor, and every hand said aye. You all know the stupid joke about the show president who goes to visit the rabbi in the hospital? Board voted by 8 to 7 to wish you were a foolish lema. You don't know that. <laughs> it's a dumb Jewish joke. It's on the list of, they give it to you in smicha, the list of bad, dumb Jewish jokes. It's towards the top. But why is it a Jewish joke? Because there is no unanimous Jewish vote. There is never a vote that's unanimous. Mordechai, Thomas Purim, he was Ratzoi, Lerovachai, he only saved all the Jews of Shushan. He only saved them from a holocaust in Shushan. And right after, they took a vote to renew his contract. And there were a bunch of people that sat in the back of Shul and left for the kids. And they, and they, no. I vote him down. Now, it was only Ratzel Lerovechav. So Sefer Chasidim says, two to three million people stood at the base of that mountain. Hashem says, I have a Torah. I'm not imposing it on you. Do you want it? All in favor. And every one of them said, I. Every one of them said, I want it. I'm in. If one said, nah, not interested, too much, too hard, Hashem would have given it. And that's why we say in our Amida. Barchenu avinu kulanu ke'echad. Hashem, give us a bracha kulanu ke'echad bo'or panecha. Ki bo'or panecha nasatalanu Hashem lokeinu Torah Chaim. Just like when you gave us your Torah Chaim, we all voted unanimously. Let us return to that. Give us a taste of that. Let us go back to that. Kulanu ke'echad bo'or panecha. Can't we go back to that? Can't we just get along? That doesn't mean that we're uniform. Unity is not uniformity. That doesn't mean we all agree on judicial reform or what time minions should start or what kind of exile to serve a child should us. We don't have to agree. But kulanu ke'echad bor panacha. There were 12 shvatim at Harsinai. They stood separately under their logo, their emblem, their flag. They dive in their own nusach. They had chalant and chamin and all different versions of Kiddush. There were differences. But they were kulanu ke'echad bor panacha. Just like that's the way it was when you gave us the Torah. And for us to merit still having the Torah, living the Torah, we have to go back to that. But I want to end with one last idea. A wonderful Kedushas Levi. A beautiful Kedushas Levi. So let me end with one more Kedushas Levi. Go back to the beginning of this Pasuk. Moshe went and he repeated to the people all the commands of Hashem. It's a very funny language. Vayavo he came. That part's not funny. Vayisaper la'am. Vayomer vayidaber. Tzav. We have all kinds of languages to describe transmitting a command. 
We don't normally use Sipur. Vaisaper. Why does it say Vaisaper? So when was this? When was this? We just fly through the parsha. We don't want to stop and ask what should be obvious questions, but we just heard all about Dalit Shomrim, laws of loans, and laws of evidivery. Now we're back at our Sinai. When was this? So Rashi says it was before the Torah was given, and it refers to the Sheva Mitzvahs B'nai Noach, and the Mitzvahs that were given at Marah. We got a smattering of Mitzvahs. We got a little forspice at Marah. Sham Sam Lachoku Mishpat B'Sham So We got a little few Mitzvahs. Kibar Aveim, Paraduma, and Shabbos. So Rashi says, Torah is not in chronological order, and what we're communicating now really happened before the Torah was given. The Ramban doesn't like it. The Ramban says, The word means that Moshe's, he didn't go into the file cabinet. Moshe's coming up with new stuff, new material. These are new laws. Torah doesn't use the word to repeat mitzvahs that had already been given. This is new stuff, new material. Or Rechaim brings evidence from Chazal that the Pasuk's talking about after Matan Torah. He doesn't need to explain because the Rashbam, the Rashbam, the Rambam, the Ibn Ezra, others all agree. So Rashi says this is all before Matan Torah and the Rambam, the Rashbam, the Ibn Ezra, the Rechaim, they all say it was after. How can Rashi say it was before the Torah was given? What laws did Moshe relay? And if in fact it was the few that were given already, why are they being repeated now? And why does it say Vayisaper instead of Vayitzav? So listen to this Heiliger of Levi Yitzchak Listen to this holy Berdichever, Kedushas Levi. Lachain Nira Kiba Emes Eilun Estavu B'Morav Achain Zayim Mitzvah Shem Estavu K'Far Rakshem Moshe Rabbeinu L'Vashalom Hayim Mesaper La'Am Godal HaPaula Shepali Yisrael B'Kim Azayim Mitzvos Uve Mitzvah Shem Estavu Mara. Listen, V'Heach Shakadosh Baruch Hu Mishtasheya B'Kim Amitzvos V'Shakol HaUlamos V'Anishamos Tuluyim Behem. Moshe was not giving the laws. He did it already. So why are you repeating them here? He wasn't getting into the minutiae and the details and the debates. You know what Moshe was telling him? He says, you know the mitzvahs I already gave you? The ones you're already keeping? I need to tell you something about them. You know what I want to tell you? You can't imagine what it's doing for Hashem. Hashem is looking down and He's seeing you observe and keep His Torah. And he's mishtasheya, you don't understand what it's doing for him. The nachas that gives him, the joy, the happiness, the satisfaction that you're giving him. You don't understand the geshmak you're giving him. You don't understand. Vayisapar says of Levi Yitzchak, Moshe wasn't commanding, he was telling him a story. The story was, you're just down here on earth and you're not getting any feedback. You're making a lot of sacrifice. There's a tremendous mysterious nefesh to keep Torah. You're spending ridiculous money on kosher food and Jewish education. You're giving up Saturday. You're doing all kinds of other things. And you have no idea. Does it mean anything? Is it doing anything? Why bother? Says Rabbi Levi Yitzhak, Vayisaper. Moshe says, I have something to tell you. What I want to tell you is how much it means to him. How it impacts the cosmos. How it affects the world. How it's changing destiny. And you want to mouth off to your parent but instead show them honor. When you were tempted to check your phone, but instead you kept Shabbos. When you were drawn to Tumah, but instead remained determined to preserve your purity and to strive for Kedusha, for holiness, you need to know. When you didn't watch that thing on the internet, when you didn't look, when you were honest with your receipts on your business, on your business uh, reporting, your business expenses and your taxes, when you were vigilant and careful and cautious on Shabbos, you need to know it mattered. The Yisapir, it makes a difference. We use the term nachas to offer a bracha, a bar mitzvah, a sheva brachas. We assume that only human beings get nachas. Parents and grandparents, you should have nachas. But Hashem is also capable of getting nachas. He's not beyond it. He's not beyond it. Hashem can be has needs. Hear that, Dr. Wolf? Hashem has needs. And one of his needs is to get nachas from us. What parent doesn't? Is there a greater joy, a greater happiness in the world? If you could win a billion dollars in the, in the lottery or get nachas from your child, all the money in the world doesn't add up to a moment of nachas from your child. When you see your child gets it, when you see your child is accomplishing, achieving, when you can exhale because you see whom your child has chosen and they're on the path and the trajectory of the life that it's going to continue this legacy long after you're gone to grandchildren and great-grandchildren, 
the nachas Hashem shares with us. The very end of Mesilas Hashem, we'll just close with this. The Ramchal ends his magnum opus, the last words of Mesilas Hashem. The Ramchal ends his Mesilas Hashem by saying, May the blessed is God and his mercy open our eyes and his Torah teach us his ways, give us guide us on his paths. May we merit to give honor to his name and may we merit May we give Hashem Nachas. You want to give a bracha to someone? Don't just give a bracha. They get Nachas and give Nachas to their parents, but to give Nachas to Hashem. We think Hashem cares when we donate a building or finish Shas or start a new organization or something else that's monumental. He cares that you made it to the Parshashir. He cares that you made it to the end. Every moment matters. It's hard. Not every Parsha shir is convenient or easy. It takes effort. Sometimes struggle. But it matters. You made it here. It matters. When you dive in with a little extra kavana. It matters when you were mindful when you said that bracha. It matters that you made that phone call or sent that text message or you made that difference. It matters. Vayasapar Moshe. Moshe wanted them to know it matters. It matters. Know the joy that you're giving Hashem and use that as energy and drive to do it again and again and again. It's just with the Moskowitzes and so many people have done so many things. One person in particular did something in the last minute that was a game changer. The text I said, you don't understand, you gave them life. You don't understand what you did for them. And that's what Moshe is telling us. You don't understand what you do for Hashem. You think you're so insignificant? You think you're so inconsequential? You think you're so invisible? You think it doesn't matter? Your Shabbos, your bracha, your davening, your kashas, your chesed, you're making it to the parashas here. It matters. It means something. It means something to Hashem. It means an enormous amount to Hashem. There's a lot more to say about it, but vayisaper. That's what Moshe wanted to tell. These laws, I gave them to you already. And you're already keeping them. But I want you to know the pleasure and the nachas you're giving Hashem and use that to motivate you to, to do more and more and more. May we all get nachas from our families. And may we all give tremendous nachas to Hashem. Tonight at 7.30, there are 1,100 people already registered, but there may still be a few seats left. 7.30, conversation, dialogue around anti-Semitism. Join us at 7.30, Yair Rosenberg and Ben Shapiro. So, can I ask you a question? Sorry.